Welcome to another edition of Taste. And this week we have one of my favorite people of all time, a gentleman by the name of Colin Broderick. He's the author of quite a few books. He's a playwright, he's an actor, he's also a film producer, writer, he does it all. And best of all, he's a good friend. Always there to support, always there for a word of encouragement. And I know you're going to fall in love with him as I have. Mr. Colin Broderick is next on Taste. All right, welcome to another edition of Taste. We have a tastemaker, as they say in the West of Ireland, a taste maker in Colin Broderick. And Colin is a father of three, an author of four books, a playwright. He's conceived and produced two feature-length films and two shorts, and we're here to talk to him about his fifth novel, which is Woodstock Goes to Hollywood. Welcome, Colin. Hi, Mike. Nice to be here. Great to have you here. Great to have you here. So I've been itching to talk to you about Woodstock Goes to Hollywood because it's really, I love the book, and it was unlike any book I've ever read in that it was pretty you know, genre-bending. It was... Definitely not a children's book with the pictures and everything else like that, although there were a couple of pictures in it, right? It was a, a great pictures in it. But I could also see reading this and creating this story for a child if you were reading it to them at night. So how did this come about and what was your intended audience for it? I first started telling the story to my kids when we lived in uh, Woodstock, New York, a few years back. Uh, we lived in the woods and there was a family of bears that would come up onto our property. And Sam and Erica were much younger. Uh, I guess this was five years ago it started. And I would tell them, I'd make up the story. I, I give the bear a name because he would come to our property so much. And I called him Woodstock. And then I started developing a story where, oh, he gets on the trailways bus and he goes to the city. He finds some clothes and he gets on the bus and he goes off to become an actor. And they loved the story. And then I I, I tried to develop it as a, as a kid's story. And then I sort of shelved it and you get busy with parenthood and doing other things and other projects. And then during the pandemic, Sam said to me, you got to finish that story. You got to finish that story. Sam's my six-year-old. And then I sat down to write it because during the pandemic, I didn't, you know, I've spent the last 15 years of my life mining my own, you know, childhood growing up in Northern Ireland and my own uh, struggles with alcoholism and addiction and all that stuff. And I've mined all that stuff for the last 15 years since I get sober. And this project was the first thing I've ever done where I just said, I don't want this to be about me at all. I just want this to be something that's entertaining. And also it became this thing during the pandemic where I was almost ready to walk away from writing, basically. And I had said to a couple of people, I'm retiring, I'm done. I'm just, I'm going to go back to construction. I'm finished, finished writing. And then I realized it was because I'd lost the love of just telling the story. I'd gotten caught up in the business end of it, in the expectation of 
you know, what an agent wants, what the audience wants, what an editor wants. And I just said to myself one day, I'm going to sit and I'm just going to take this story out and just start writing it and just let it take me wherever it wants to go. So basically, I got on the bus with Woodstock the bear and just said, let me just see what happens. <laughs> and, it, and it got insane. It really did. It got insane because I had to, it, it got so insane, Mike, that at one point I had to stop about 100 pages in and go, what the heck is this thing? It had gotten really dark. Like Woodstock <laughs> was in the city and he was involved in some really dark stuff. And I thought this is, it, it had crossed a line. And that was the moment I had to step back and say, okay, what is the book? Who's it for? And I went, I took a step back and then I continued again with the novel, but keeping in mind that I wanted to make sure that a 10 year old or a 12 year old if they picked this book up could still read it yeah that, yeah. It, that i didn't that i didn't exclude younger people it's a very adult book and a very adult story uh but i also wanted to make sure that it was entertaining in a way that roald dahl for instance is he's got a sort of a dark age if you read his novels and uh i, I wanted to make sure that it was Kid friendly, but entertaining, but dark enough that uh, adults also could enjoy it as a novel, which was what I was doing, enjoying it as a novel. And that's perfect. And I remember, you know, just in spirit of full disclosure, Colin and I live not too far from one another. We get together for for, the, for an odd coffee here and there. And I remember as you were writing this, I'm like, hey, how's the book coming along? And you're like, oh, we took a dark turn here. <laughs> we're, trying, we're trying to work it back so i love how it, it worked and how it ended and, and you know i also think um it was an interesting i i thought it was sort of an interesting layer too in terms of it is a typical hollywood story right you have a dream you go down to the big city you get taken you run into the wrong crowd uh you come back and so it, it, it had a classic Hollywood story it also in a way had almost like an immigrant story you know you came from the maybe the woods of Ireland and you and you go to the big city and you try to make it so it's interesting that you say that this was the first book not about you because I actually was kind of wondering as a reader and as a friend of yours how much of this is sort of mine from your personal experience and your observations of the industry right well, I guess uh, that's an interesting comment on the book because obviously, you know, like Sawyer Spielberg and Josh Brolin um, and Rachel Taylor, all these Hollywood actors have commented on the book and said it's a perfect representation of the actor's journey, which is, you know, this it, it, it's it's weird because there's all these movie references in there, right? Uh, it's The Godfather, it's uh, Midnight Cowboy, and it's Joe Buck, basically. He's getting on the bus. The innocent bear gets on the bus and uh, goes to New York City. And New York City, he experiences New York City 
in all its raw energy and danger the same way I did. Uh, so that element, of course, the excitement um, of, 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 you know, being in this sort of wild journey, but very specifically an actor's journey. He wants to become an actor really badly. But also then, as you say, the Hollywood thing, I really have him struggling with the idea of, is it that he wants to be an actor or is does he really just want to be famous, which is the big struggle with a lot of actors go through? Are you in it for the fame and fortune or are you in it because you enjoy the craft and the you craft enjoy the art of it? And right. I really explore that sort of thing in, in his character. I think a lot of people see me talking about the book or posting about the book and have no idea what the book is about. And it's the first book I've ever done that has no press. <laughs> <laughs> I did, seriously, there's not a single shred of press about this book because I wanted it to be, I didn't want anything to interrupt the purity of me getting back to storytelling. I didn't need reviewers to get the book. I didn't even have other authors blurb the book. I had actors blurb the book. And then Josh Brolin, of course, who I make fun of in the book uh, for his big head, uh, writes this amazing foreword for the book, which was really beautiful. Tara Stiles, uh, uh, founder of Strala Yoga, summed it up perfectly when she said it's Winnie the poo for adults. Yeah, I know. It was a great, that is a, that is a great quote. I, 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 I actually want to go to a recurring character in a lot of your books and your films, and that is the city of New York, right? So you've got the writing Irish of New York. And I, I was privileged to be a part of that book where you collected essays from people that were Irish or Irish American that, you know, were finding their way in New York. And what was that unique Irish American experience in New York. Uh, you had Emerald City, which was your film about your time in the construction business. And even, you know, in Woodstock, um, he's the journey, the destination is New York City. So I'm just kind of wondering what your what's your relationship with New York City? I, I love there was a line in your short film Smile where you said, could be that you were nursing me back to health all along. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a weird relationship I have with New York. Uh, I I I had a I had a funny experience quite recently, where I was back up in the city for the first time since finishing and publishing Woodstock. I hadn't been up since before the pandemic, and I sort of went up there, and I was by myself in the afternoon, and I started driving around all Woodstock's haunts. I went to uh, Cafe Reggio and the Bottom Line and uh, Washington Square Park. And there was this energy. I love Washington Square Park. And, and there was this energy that I hadn't felt in the city in a long, long time. And it made me think about when I first arrived and that wild sort of excitement. And it's almost like because the city's coming out of the pandemic, it is... You know, the city, I feel like, and, and I talk about this in Woodstock, the book, it's like these little neighborhoods. When you've lived in New York City, as I did on and off for 30 years, it it becomes very, very personal. 
it's like a village or a series of little villages and little communities that all have their own very distinct atmosphere and vibe. And it becomes less uh, overwhelming and becomes very much this sort of moving, living, breathing, exciting sort of being. And uh, I, I, I don't know if that love of New York City will ever leave me entirely. You know, I, I live, as, as you do now, just an hour south of the city. And uh, and it's wonderful to be able to be so close that you can access it. Um, but I, I certainly like being outside of the city to raise a family. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's easier. I have three young kids. So that's that's a much easier thing to do. Um, but, you know, even having said that, when, when Erica was really little, you know, I lived on West 95th Street and we had access to all these incredible playgrounds and the children's museum and, and, you know, the museum of modern art and, you know, the Met museum, and you could sort of bop around. There's so much to do when you're in the city also, which I did uh, and loved uh, with, with Erica, with, you know, that there's a lot to explore. That's great. Yeah, it, it is. But it's good. It's nice to know that it's an hour away that you can kind of get away and clear your head and and, and have yes. some uh, salty cereal as, as well. So we'll be right back after these messages. Taste Season 2 is sponsored by the good folks at Career Letters, careerletters.com. They specialize in professional branding, resume writing, LinkedIn optimization, and what a perfect time to be looking at your career, your resume, your LinkedIn profile. Is it all optimized to find that next career of your dreams? We're heading into the final months of the year. This is the time to be looking for a job now so that you can actually find and land the job of your dreams next year. Visit careerletters.com for more information. And we're back with Colin Broderick. And I'd love to go back, way back, Colin, to just the start of you being a writer. Um, was Did you go to school for it? Was it something that you kind of latched onto in school? Or was there a was there a, a family member that was a writer or a, a book that just grabbed you and said, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to write just like so-and-so. How did, how did the writing bug uh, get planted in you? So uh, it very, very uh, early on, I always had this thing where I f would try to write little stories. I have a notebook from when I was like seven or eight where I'm like trying to write a book in the notebook and I have no idea what I'm doing. And it's sort of like this, you know, it's it, it just sort of peters out after a few pages. So that was always in there. Uh, but I never had anybody encourage that part of me when I was in school. And when I was living in London, when I was 18 or 19, somebody gave me a copy of Charles Bukowski's first novel, Post Office. And I remember reading that novel and immediately feeling like, oh, my God, I could write like this. I could do this. And it was the first time I got a sense that there was a way of writing that was 
felt like I could tell a story with words and that that was accessible to me. And I think, you know, obviously I, I went on to read Hemingway and Roald Dahl and Fitzgerald and John Irving and all these great uh, storytellers, Philip Roth. I just love authors who could tell a story. Mm. And I, I, it was, you know, I, when I was in uh, my 20s, I went to Lehman College to study with Billy Collins, who was up and coming at that time, but he was a professor at Lehman College. I loved his poetry. So I said, oh, I loved poetry. It's I, time I, I, poetry. I just read I just read his new book. Like I literally put it down last night. It was so much fun. So it's amazing. So then I go to I go to Lehman College, 25, 26 years of age, and I study with Billy for like two or three years or four years. And uh, Billy becomes my official mentor. And he talks about me now as his protege. We became very, very close. And I witnessed him become poet laureate uh, of the U.S. during that time and the most popular poet in the world, practically. Uh, during that time so that was you know and, and I, I had him encouraging me in my poetry and then at one time as I was studying with him I said I have this idea for a book and then I came back two months later and handed him my first novel which was Church End which I which I just published recently it sat in a, it sat in a drawer for 25 years mm. And then I took it out of the drawer and realized, oh, I have this old dusty manuscript that there's only one copy. And I started typing it up and I published uh, Church End, which was my basically a semi-autobiographical version of the two years I spent squatting in North London with a bunch of other construction workers in the 80s. I think, by the way, reading that book, that's that's a movie, my friend. So we uh, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about movie making and whatnot. Let's think it's a recent history. What was it like to bring a bend in the river back to your hometown? I, I know for some of you, for some of us that follow you on Instagram, it just came up on <laughs> through your phone screen, the joy and the, oh my God, this is happening. Uh, when we were following along in your posts and the people that we're seeing it. So what's that like to go from, you know, writing at six or seven years old in the town and to coming back to the town and having your film actually be, you know, uh, viewed by the, the, the folks in the town. I can't imagine what a thrill that it, was. It's a wild, it's a wild uh, arc. It's a wild story arc. When you think that, 15 years ago, I was begging dollar bills in Times Square for Coke and drink. <laughs> and I was practically homeless and and didn't have a bank account or a driver's license. I was almost 40 years of age with, uh, with nothing to my name and feeling like a, a bum and that I had sort of blown my big opportunity in America. And, you know, it's funny when I think about that time, and what saved me when I stared into the void, it was my own unfulfilled potential that stared back at me and scared me into sobriety, really. And in that time, then, you know, to come from somebody who realized I suffered terribly from depression and terribly from social anxiety, uh, which is something I still struggle with, but to then 
become a writer and be forced into the public eye following my work and having to go out and represent it, then getting into filmmaking and realizing that pulled me further into the social element of things and having to challenge myself further and my social anxiety. And then ultimately to wind up at home in Ireland where I was most anxious uh, and, you know, to come back home from America and not feel judged. I was in that room with 400 local people in a packed theater watching a movie that I'd made, Abandoned the River, that I made about them, about the community. It's what I had to say about Northern Ireland and about growing up there. And it to, to feel the warmth in the room and to know that people were rooting for me. They wanted the, the movie to do well. They were proud that I was there and I could feel that. Mm. And that was, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the back row at the end of the movie with my mother and father. And, you know, I'm, I'm literally weeping in the dark <laughs> as the movie credits start to roll and my mother reaches over and takes my hand. And it's this bizarre sort of like what uh, it's a moment that's very hard to express. Uh, I'll probably have to write about it, but it was one of the most profound nights of my life and possibly having to do with feeling uh, finally and fully accepted as one of my own community in Ireland. That's incredible. And when you go, when you come back, what's your first taste of home? Are you going for a flake bar? Are you going for the, the chalk ice? When you go back and you just have to have that first fix of Ireland, what's the thing you put on your plate? Uh, Irish sausages. <laughs> uh, I, I go right home. We go, I go right home. My mother has made some homemade uh, whole, whole wheat loaf and, uh, there's always like an egg and some bacon and Irish sausages. And I can't, it doesn't matter how they make them over here. It just tastes different when you are in Ireland. An Irish sausage in Ireland is just a different experience. Yeah. It's, uh, the, it's the fry. Yeah. It's the fry. Uh, and, and I do it every time. And, and, and I throw, you know, caution to the wind and have a fry every day when i'm there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then, you, and then you, you delay the cardiologist appointment for exactly. another week or two. <laughs> to hell no, for a week or two so what is um let's say we were having this podcast this time next year what would uh 2023 look like for you um what would what would a great 2023 look like for you well uh, uh Number one, a great 23 for me would be Rachel and the kids healthy, um, myself healthy. That's number one. Health. Without health, all else is nonsense. Uh, if I see the kids happy, that makes me happy. Uh, now that I'm a dad and have three kids, everything else is secondary. The writing, the filmmaking, all of that is secondary. But when it comes to my work next year, you know, I have two two movies that are happening. Uh, one is a biopic I wrote uh, on Brendan Behan that is coming closer to fruition. 
and another one we've been i've been developing that script all year and another one called the spin which is a comedy and a road trip which i will be direct i wrote it and i'm directing that one myself and i'm that one's shooting in ireland in april um some actors already attached to that owen colgan from the hardy bucks is in the lead and uh sawyer spielberg is flying over to play a part and there's a wonderful score it's a musical it's two boys in a, in a record shop and they go on a an odyssey through ireland to find the holy grail of albums um and it's a lot of fun so i've been trying to move away from as i say exploring and you know digging up my past and dealing with my trauma i feel like i've rounded a corner in my own uh, recovery and sense of self where I feel like, okay, I've, I've mined all that and dealt with all that over the last 15 years. And uh, I find myself starting to uh, lean towards having more fun. Even the Behan script is, is, is a lot of, it's dark, uh, obviously, and painful because of his life story, but it's also a lot of fun. So, so that's a big thing for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I've said this to your face. I've said this behind your back. I'm going to say this to the taste audience. Um, oh, no. It, <laughs> you, you owe me money. No. <laughs> you owe me money. No. no I, I, all kidding aside, I, it is just, um, it's just, uh, it's a pleasure to call you friend. You have been somebody that, you know, when I read that, that's that, your, your memoir about Northern Ireland, that was a complete inspiration to go to see you stage a play was an inspiration. And then for you to really tackle feature length films, that was an inspiration. So, you know, within a year of you doing a play, I did a play within you doing a feature length film, I tackled it. So you really showed me personally what's possible. And I, I treasure that. I treasure that relationship that we have together. And um, it's always just great to watch you create and, uh, and keep up with your lovely family. So, I'll I'll be there in the Thank stands you. cheering uh, 2023 uh, that that uh, that that happens for you. So uh, best of luck and tell us how they can the the audience of Taste can reach out to you. Well, uh, I have a website www.colinbroderick.com. I'm easy to find there. You can order all my books through the website. There's links to you know, taking you from the website to buy the books directly on Amazon or wherever they are. Uh, Woodstock uh, Goes to Hollywood is available on Amazon, as all my books are. Uh, yeah, they're available. You can buy them on Amazon or you could, or Barnes & Noble could order them. Your local bookstore can order them. Or uh, you could order a signed copy if you wanted through my website, which I deliver personally. Uh, I pop that in the mail for you, but um, yeah, and the uh, movies uh, Emerald City is on YouTube free. Uh, my movie Emerald City and uh, Abandon the River is available on Amazon Prime or iTunes or wherever you watch or rent your movies. Awesome. Well, Colin, thank you for gracing us for this last half hour. Wish you a very happy 2023, and I'll see you around uh, the local coffee shop somewhere. Thank you, Mike. Looking forward to breakfast soon. All right, sir. I just can't shake the feeling that Woodstock Goes to Hollywood might actually go to Hollywood someday. 
great story. Highly recommend picking it up. It's been a pleasure talking to Colin Broderick, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Taste is brought to you through a sponsorship with irishcentral.com. It's produced by The Smiling Voice, my wife Barbara. I love you, honey, and we'll see you next week.